Listen, I'm not standing up here speechless because I don't know what to do. But I just need to share something with you. This is what I have been asking the Lord for. Just the moment in the service where he erupts with his presence and it just hovers. If you come to see me or hear me, you've come for the wrong reason. I'm nothing without him. But just for the manifest presence of God to be among us, no greater honor than we could ever have than for that to happen. Because I'm going to tell you what happens when the manifest presence of God is in our midst. People are healed with nobody laying hands on them. Bondages are broken with nobody laying hands on people. Strongholds are destroyed with nobody laying hands on people. You say, well, preacher, I thought we were to lay hands. We're admonished in Scripture to do that. But the reality of it is God don't need our help. He's God all by himself. <laughs> I said he's God all by himself. And he'll do it in such a way that only he can receive the glory, the honor, and the praise for it. My blessed God. Hallelujah. The word of praise that is the same in every language. On every continent. In every country. Hallelujah is hallelujah. <laughs> My blessed God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So good to be in the presence of God. So good to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. Father, I feel like you've prepared our hearts today through worship, through our worship, to receive your word as you're going to speak to our heart today. And Father, I just yield myself over to you. I'm nothing without you. I need your help today. Speak through me to your people. Anoint every ear to hear. Anoint every heart to receive from your word today. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, at the end of the service, we will have a time of prayer for needs in this house. I just heard the Holy Ghost say to me, there will be prayer at the end of this service for needs in this house. So if you're here with a need this morning, don't think for one minute that you're not going to have an opportunity to receive prayer because now the Lord's already instructed me to do that. You know, sometimes as preachers we think we have to give an altar call that's conducive to the message. And we do because it gives the, the people an opportunity to respond to the word that goes forth. And that's important. But sometimes God just wants to come in and meet our needs. Amen? So I'm going to ask you if you would to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. Let me just give you a... As you're turning there, let me just tell you, if you were not here last week and you have not had a chance to listen to the message, please go back and do that. If you don't have time to sit and just watch the video, our sermon audios from, are extracted from the videos on Monday and they are uploaded to all major podcast 
sources. So if you use Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, you can just listen to that as you're going down the road or put it in your earbuds or whatever you do. But listen to that message because we paralleled some Jewish customs and history of Jewish weddings to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll hit some high points today as we move into the second message of this series. But you will want to hear that message. Uh, it will help you to better understand some places of Scripture. Not because I preached it, but because the Holy Ghost was all over it. Amen? The book of Luke, chapter 21, beginning in verse 25. The Bible says this, And there shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming, in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Lord, add your blessing to the preaching today. Your word's already blessed. But add your blessing to the preacher today. You may be seated this morning. Today's message is going to just give us a timeline, if you will, or in like, like the, the sequence of things that are to come. After this week, we will begin to dive into different portions of this, and we will look at it each in its own context. But today, we're just going to kind of give a, a sequence of the things that are going to take place. Uh, Dr. Charles Kahn said... These words one time, he said, These are days of both exciting and perilous times. Exciting because of the tremendous progress being made in the fields of technology and science. Perilous because of the lack of corresponding spiritual progress. The result is inevitable confusion and disorder, pressing almost to the point of chaos. It is no wonder that men's hearts are filled with fear and anxiety. We need not be dismayed, for God has shared with us things that must come to pass, and we can have our hearts anchored in a sure knowledge of Him. Let me just take a moment right here and say to you today, some of you are note takers when the message is going forth. If you don't take any other note, just jot down the scriptures that I share with you today. So you can refer back to these at another time. I would say today that to most of the world's population, these times that we live in are not only confusing, but they are frustrating. They are perplexing times. Men look upon the happenings of this time with awe. And with anxious wonder, they say, what is going to happen next? Everybody wants to know what's about to take place. 
We read in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 that men's hearts are failing them for fear. They are looking after those things which are coming on the earth. They are, have an interest in what is about to happen. The reality of it is that terror is gripping the hearts of men as they look upon these times. And, and, and these are most unparalleled times of history in the world. Religious leaders everywhere believe and hold on to the fact that something momentous or even unprecedented, is about to take place on the world scene. You see, the atmosphere is charged with expectation. If you look around us horizontally, everything in the world seems to be falling by the wayside and things seem to be out of control and things seem to be spiraling. But can I just tell you this morning that when things are like that in the world, it gives hope to the children of God because there is a brighter day coming. Not here in this earth, but in the life that is to come. The atmosphere is charged with expectation and even a tenseness. Humanity is being gripped with fear. Do you realize that the things that are transpiring today are not by accident, but they are actual fulfillment of Bible prophecy? In the Word of God, He has outlined world events. and We're going to dive into these today. This is God's program. This is God's timetable. God has not yielded His authority to anybody else. God has not allowed things to get out of control. But can I just tell you that the same God that said let there be light is the same God who remains in control of everything in the earth today. You say, well, why is there so much evil and wickedness? Because God's given to humanity free moral choice to make their own decisions and do their own thing. Hello, somebody. But this is God's program. Everything that is happening is happening in chronological sequence, just as the prophets of God has spoken them. You see, the last page of human history is about to be written, but there's some things and events that must take place before the end of the world. I remember back September the 11th, 2001. When the two planes hit the World Trade Centers in New York, everybody thought the world was coming to an end. People flocked churches. People were giving their hearts to God by the droves and the masses. Only for a few days to pass and everything seemed to be better and everybody went back to their old way of living. But there's coming a day in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Well, you're not going to have a chance if you're not already ready. That's why today is the day of salvation. It's time now to be ready. Here's the reality of it. Men of the world are aware that something is about to transpire. Those who have studied God's Word do not have to guess what will happen. I want to give you just a quick order of the, the, the order of things and how they're going to happen, the chronological sequence. The next thing on the schedule is the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the rise of the Antichrist. Then the tribulation period. Followed by the battle of Armageddon. Then Christ returned to earth. Then it will be the millennial reign of Christ. Then Satan will be loosed for a short season. Then the great white throne judgment. And then a new heaven and a new earth. 
This is a brief list of the order of events from now until the end of the world. But in order for us to get a picture of things to come, I want to briefly today look at each one of the things that I've mentioned, and then later on we'll dive into these more in depth. I just want to establish flat-footed, firm in my stance today so you don't have any question about where I am or where I stand. I believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. By imminent return, I mean it could happen at any moment. At any point in time, Jesus could step out on the clouds of glory for his church. Imminent means that suddenly it's going to happen at any moment. His coming will be the fulfillment of promises of the prophets, of himself and of angels. Listen, there are numerous promises from the prophets. Let's look at just one. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. The Bible says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And then, in the very words of the Lord Jesus, as we read last week, we'll read it again, John 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Not only did Jesus promise that he would come again, but as he made his departure from the earth, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall also come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. This was the promise of the angels. So we've got the prophets, we've got the words of Jesus, and we've got the proclamation of the angels. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, the word spoken by the angels was steadfast. Then just before God closed the canon of Holy Scripture, he said in Revelation 22 and 20, surely I come Quickly. You say, Pastor, that's a lot of scripture. If I preach Bible, I don't get in trouble. Hello, somebody. So the next thing on God's program is to take that is to take place is the transformation of the saints, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, then the translation of the church when the living saints shall be changed, and the dead saints shall be resurrected, and they shall be called up to meet the Lord in the air. I know that to the world, this sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like something just thought up in the minds of many people. But some morning, or some evening, maybe at midnight, Jesus Christ is going to appear and His church, the twice-born, the blood-bought, the redeemed of the Lord will disappear from this world without notice, without announcement. Jesus is going to step out on the clouds of glory and take the blood-bought church home to be with Him. The next event after the church has been raptured out of the world will be the rise of the Antichrist. No doubt the Antichrist 
perhaps is already in the world today. But he will not be revealed until after the church has been taken out. Now you heard me say last week about pre-tribulation rapture, mid-trib and post-trib. And if you want to be on a second or third trip, be my guest. You better pray there is a second or third trip. I'm going on the first bus load because I want to make sure I get there. I thank God I don't have to worry about the Antichrist. Now there are many Antichrists in the world today. There are many who are Antichrist, but they are not the Antichrist that has risen to that popularity. That will take place after Jesus steps out on the clouds and raptures the church home. Do you believe that? I absolutely do. Let me show you. The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The first part of this verse, and then, has reference to after the church has been taken out of the world. The Antichrist will be a super ruler who will gain prominence as a world leader through the power of Satan. More scripture. The Bible says in Revelations, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And the Bible says the whole world will wonder after him. Simultaneously with the rise of the Antichrist shall begin the period known as the tribulation. There are some terms in scripture that are synonymous with the tribulation period. Some of those terms are the day of God's rebuke, the day of the Lord, or the day of Jacob's trouble. In the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 24, 21, the Bible says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. The rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the next thing to happen. The imminent return, then the rise of the Antichrist. Then begins the great tribulation period. You heard me talk about last week uh, as a bride had received the bride price uh, from the potential groom that he would have to go back and he would have to prepare the bridal chamber for the bride. He could not determine when it was ready. He could only be allowed to go back and get his bride once the father had said now is the time. Then as he would make his way back to get the bride, the announcement would coming, Behold! The bridegroom. The bridal party would whisk away into the night. They would go and have a week of feast, seven days of feast, which parallels the seven years of tribulation. While they were having the wedding feast, which is the wedding feast of the saints of God when they're raptured, Everything imaginable and unimaginable will be happening in this earth. Let me just tell you something. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. You see, the tribulation will be a time of unparalleled distress and woe. If you think today's bad, this is not even a scratch of the surface compared to those seven years. 
It will be a time of horrors, famines, woes, plagues, and wars. These things shall exist with such intensity as has never been known to humanity before. The period of tribulation shall last upon the earth for seven years. This is the 70th week which Daniel prophesied concerning God's dealing with Israel. This tribulation is a week of years or seven years of distress. Listen, the great tribulation will wind up in one of the most holistic, or I'm sorry, holocaustic and bloody battles humanity has ever known. It will culminate into the battle of Armageddon. The battle is going to come to an abrupt end, though, when Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven, sitting upon a white horse with his eyes as a flame of fire, with crowns of gold upon his head, and a name written that no man knows but himself, clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. The armies of heaven will follow him upon white horses. The full description can be read in Revelation chapter 19. But when he comes, he will bring the battle to an end when the Bible says in verse 15 that out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Let me get this straight. The rapture, we go to heaven, the tribulation, seven years, culminates into the battle of Armageddon. When Jesus comes back riding on the white horse, and we come back with him. Now you don't think the Lord's powerful? He's going to open his mouth and smite the nations. That's pretty powerful. I said, that's pretty powerful. I have known some people in my life that had such authority because of their titles and their positions that when they opened their mouth and spoke a word, things begin to go into motion. Things begin to happen. You ever know anybody like that? I have worked for people that when they spoke, I knew I better make whatever they said come to be. But can I just tell you that I have never run across the path of any person not a president, not a general, not anybody that has ever had the ability to open their mouth and say a word and nations be obliterated. But I'm telling you, that's the king we serve. That's the Jesus that I serve. That with the very spoken word of his mouth, the battle shall come to an end and the church shall not be going under. But baby, we're going to be standing flat-footed with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, an overcoming, victorious, blood-bought church of the living God. Oh, it may look like we're losing the battle today, but you just hang around a little while longer because when the smoke settles and the dust clears, we're going to win the battle. I'm glad I'm on the winning side. I said, I'm glad I'm on the winning side. I'm glad I've read the book and I know how it ends. It's not up in the air. It's not up to anybody else's choice. Brother Moore, I've read the back of the book and I know how the story goes. And we're going to win this thing. Whew. 
I don't have to wait till I get there to be victorious. I can have victory today. But I'm telling you, when all hell's breaking loose in the earth, there's going to be one riding on the back of a white horse. He's going to come down. And when it just looks like things are about to only get worse, he's going to open his mouth and everything's about to cease because the king has come on the scene. My Lord God. Prophet Zechariah tells of this event as he says in the 14th chapter and the 3rd verse Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. This event we call the revelation of Jesus Christ or his second coming. Now let me just slow down here a minute because I mentioned this last week and I want to make sure you've got this down. You need to note that the, second, that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is one advent in two events. The first time he comes will be the rapture of the church. That is not the second coming. That is when the dead in Christ shall rise and then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. To, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, the scripture says. But during the seven years of tribulation, we will be in heaven. And the actual second coming will be when he comes back. To smite the nations. First he comes to catch away the living and the dead saints to meet him in the air. Which is called the rapture. Seven years later he's coming back with the saints to terminate the battle of Armageddon. Cast the beast and the false prophet in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Have the devil bound and cast into a bottomless pit and usher in the golden age. Jesus said this would happen after the tribulation. Notice the words of Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall the tribes of the earth mourn. For they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then comes a long sought after era or the age, the millennial reign of Christ, also known as the thousand years reign or the reign of righteousness. It's the same thousand years that he reigns that Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit. The Bible says this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's us. <laughs> That's you and me. If you're blood bought. The devil will be bound. The beast and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire. The saints shall have the reins of the government. I thought you'd like that. Jesus shall be the supreme ruler. The prayer of the church will come to pass. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The entire world will be at peace. That's unimaginable. Poverty will be banished from the earth. That's unimaginable in our human minds today. Man will own his own home. And praise be unto God that taxes will no longer be coming due. I said peace on earth. Hello, somebody. Won't shall be stricken from the earth, and the inhabitants thereof shall not say, I am sick. Why? 
For the healing balm of Gilead will be their ruler. I don't know about you, but my soul rejoices in this thought. It gives me a hope to put one more foot in front of the other. It helps me to remember that no matter what the trials or the woes of tomorrow hold, there is a better day coming. The Bible also says this, Revelation 20 and 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. The thousand years confinement to the bottomless pit is not going to change his nature. Having worked in law enforcement, I have seen people who have been incarcerated, and when they were released, they were a changed person. They were different. They were better. They were, better, they were ready to go back into society and be better. But on the flip side of that coin... There have been those that I have also witnessed that did not come out changed. They were none the better when they come out, only to in a short period of time commit another crime to be incarcerated again. You say, well, that's harsh preaching. And that's not just truth. It's reality. And the fact is that in spite of the fact that Satan will be in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, it will not change his nature. But the same rebellious Satan who said in Isaiah 14, 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be most like the Most High. Will make his last ditch effort to defeat the plan of God. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 8, He shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to do battle. He will gather a tremendous army together. And surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city of God. But God will destroy them with fire from heaven and cast the devil into the lake of fire where the beast and the frost prophet are. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a rigged, it's a fixed fight. It's rigged. You don't have to guess whether you're on the winning side or not if you're saved. Next is the resurrection of the wicked dead. Verse 5 says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. At the end of the millennial kingdom, the wicked dead will be resurrected to stand before the great white throne of Almighty God. Verses 11 and 12 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. The last enemy to be conquered is death. The apostle Paul wrote, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26 is where we find that. Death will be the final enemy. God shall purify the earth with fire. 
Peter wrote these things in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in the holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Yes. Then, when the earth's activities have come to an end, God shall set up an eternal headquarters for the saints upon this earth. John the Beloved wrote these words in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. <laughs> and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from, out of, from God from out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to God who sits on the throne of heaven forevermore. Hallelujah. So as we come to the close of this message today, you can see that God has the future outlined. And if we will use the Word of God as our map and blueprint as our guide, we can know what's going to happen next. You don't need CNN. You don't need Fox News. You don't need ONN or Newsmax. You don't need Facebook. And whatever Trump's social media platform is, you don't need that either. You don't need the National Enquirer. You don't need the Washington Post or the New York Times. Because I can just tell you, no matter how educated and how many degrees their journalists have, they can't write what's about to happen. Oh, but I'm telling you, there is one that has already spoken to holy men of old and they have moved their pen across the paper as they were inspired by the Holy Ghost he has written the words in his holy scripture and these are the things that are to come you've got the only newspaper you need right here hello somebody the Bethlehem Times the Nazareth News whatever you want to call it I call it the Word of God, the Bible, God's spoken Word. I call it the truth. I call it the book that has transcended time, that no matter how many times and years go by, it's the only book that's remained relevant from the day it's been published until now. My Lord God. Whew. I want to read one more verse of Scripture and I'm done. I read it in our text. I've given you a lot of things that's going to happen. We're going to dive into some of these over the next few weeks. Luke 21, 
Verse 28. We read it in the text and it says this. And when these things began to come to pass, then look up. <laughs> Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. But the flip side of that coin is that if you're not a child of God today, if you're a sinner today, your damnation lurks at the doorstep. You stand on the brink of disaster. You stand on the precipice of eternity facing impending judgment of Almighty God. You see, I'm, I don't consider myself to be old. Some of you would say, based upon your age, that I'm not old. I consider myself to still have a lot to learn but I also consider myself to have learned some things along the journey. I've had people tell me I was old school in my preaching. I've had people tell me that I was a black preacher trapped in a white man's body. I don't know what that means. Some of you need to laugh. The Bible says that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I don't know what all of that means. <laughs> you call me what you want to. Old school. Stuck back in the day. Whatever you want to call it. But I believe this book. From the front cover. To the back cover. And I'll stand and declare its words. And its message. To the day the Lord takes me home. Or the rapture happens. What do you mean by that preacher? I've just come to stand before you and tell you today that what you're not going to find in this pulpit is somebody that's going to tell you it's okay to live like you want to live. You can be okay. No, I'm telling you that God meant what he said when he said that if your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, there is a place of eternity prepared for you and it is not in heaven with him, but it is in the place that we know to be called hell. That burns with eternal fire. People have had a lot of ideas about hell. People have had the idea that, well, you know, when I get there, eventually I'll die and I'll never be tormented anymore. No, it's not the way it works, honey. You see, the Bible says it's appointed unto man to die once. Only once. Then the judgment. Only once. You see, the choice is, or the fact is, Everybody is going to live again after the first death. The death of this body. The death of this carcass. When it's laid in the ground, that's the first and only death. There will be a second life to live and it will be in eternity. The choice is yours. Heaven or hell. Say, preacher, I don't want to choose. You make a choice when you fail to choose. Because what's going to happen is, for those who spend eternity in hell, and I've already tried to do this many times as a young boy growing up and even as an adult, you cannot fathom how long eternity is. Because everything you and I know has a beginning and an end. 
The day starts, the day ends. The month starts, the month ends. The week starts, the week ends. The year starts, the year ends. Everything we know, life begins, life ends. Everything we know has a beginning and an end. We cannot comprehend how long eternity is. But the fact of the matter is just simply this, based upon what we're taught in Scripture, that those who fail to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as the personal Savior and the full pardon of their sins will spend all of eternity in hell, a place of eternal fire, a place of eternal torment. Say, preacher, why are you saying that? Because we need to be reminded that even in 2023, hell still exists for the unbelievers. Churches evolved to a place to where we don't hear hell preached anymore. Hello, somebody. But the fact of the matter is, you don't have to go. There's a place that has been prepared and is being prepared for you where there is no sickness, there is no trial, there is no tribulation, there is no heartache, there are no tears. There's a place that's been prepared for you where there never comes a night for Jesus Christ is the light of that city where perfect peace and tranquility exist where we shall for all of eternity sit at the throne of God and cry holy, 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 holy as we worship the God of heaven. As we enjoy the mansion prepared for us. As we enjoy a place where the street is made of transparent gold. The gates are erected in great pearl. Walls of great jasper. I'm here to tell you this morning. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. For God has made a way of escape. But the only way is through Jesus Christ. He said I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't care what Oprah Winfrey says or any of those other ones. There are not many ways to God. There's only one way. You're not going to get through the back door. You're not going to climb through some unlocked open window. But you're going to have to go through the blood. You're going to have to go through Calvary. You're going to have to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And you're going to have to be accepting of the sacrifice that Jesus made. Anything else you don't go. So that's harsh, preacher. That's just a fact. And I'm going to tell you what. I am sick and tired. We probably ought to cut the live stream right now. Don't do it. But I probably ought to. I am sick and tired of men and women who claim to be called by God and anointed by God that will not stand flat-footed and declare the Word of God. They want to preach some feel-good sermon to pat you on the back and make you feel good and make me feel good tickle our ears and just give us just give us a little push for tomorrow I'm here to tell you there is a day of destruction coming for the unbeliever we need some people that stand up with a backbone and preach the truth say preacher you're scaring me maybe you need to do some inventory this is not meant to scare anybody. This is meant to encourage us. 
Matter of fact, Paul wrote this word to the church at Thessalonica when he wrote about the day that Jesus would step out on the clouds of glory. Verse 18 says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. I'm convinced we don't see as many people saved in the churches today because we don't preach hell hot anymore. That's just my opinion. But there it is. But I'm telling you, you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. As you're standing with me all over this place, I want to share one quick story with you. And if you have tuned me out and you have not listened to anything else I've said this morning, I want to implore you to listen to this story I'm about to tell you. There was a man who boarded a train one day and he took his seat on the train and to pass the time he took his Bible out to read. And there was a gentleman sitting next to him on this train that saw him as he pulled his Bible out and prepared to read it. And the man looked at the Bible in his hand and looked up at the man and he said, You preachers make me sick. The man sitting there clutching his Bible in his hand looked at him and he says, I'm sorry, sir, could you elaborate why preachers make you sick? He said, the reality of it is, and you all preach it, the whole human race is doomed because of the fall of Adam. It's not my fault Adam sinned and Eve sinned. I shouldn't be in a place to make a choice. We're all going to hell, not because of what we've done, but because of Adam and Eve. That's why we're going to hell. The young man looked at him as he clutched his Bible, and he said, Sir, I beg to differ. He said, You have correctly stated that because of the fallen, Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God according to Scripture. He says, But you left one part out. He said, The part that you left out my friend, is that you don't have to go to hell. Jesus stepped in the way and offered his blood for redemption. You see, when the day comes and we're standing before God, we won't be able to say it's Adam's fault or it's Eve's fault. We won't be able to say it's so-and-so's fault because I didn't know We, according to Scripture, must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is, is we're all responsible, Brother Mike, for our relationship with Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. There's no way I could preach this message without giving an invitation.